Good evening, everyone. My name is David Elwood, and I'm the dean here at the Harvard Kennedy School. It's my special honor to welcome you tonight because we are giving out very, very special awards to some remarkable people, um, and it is certainly a time of excitement and uh, hope. Um, I'd also like to point out that the New Frontier Awards, which we are beginning out here in 2013, Trey will talk much more about them um, uh, in a moment, but they are awards that honor exceptional individuals whose contributions in elective office, community service, or advocacy demonstrate the impact and value of public service in the spirit of John F. Kennedy. Now, of course, there are a number of institutions named after John F. Kennedy, and uh, on this occasion, two of the most prominent ones, the uh, John F. Kennedy Library and the Library Foundation and the John F. Kennedy School of Government, collaborate and indeed can, uh, together give this award, together select the, the winners and give it out. And so, first of all, I'd like to welcome Tom McNaught uh, from the Kennedy Library, who's right over here, and welcome him for being here and for everything you've done. I'd also like to welcome Jack Schlossberg. He's here, uh, and more about him uh, shortly, but he too will be a part of this whole ceremony. So uh, this has been a week of great remembrance uh, throughout the country and certainly in our various institutions and the like uh, about uh, John F. Kennedy and the remarkable life he lived, but also the tragic way in which he died. And it has been a source, I think, of great uh, renewed inspiration and renewed hope. And one of John F. Kennedy's most uh, compelling words were, of course, in his first inaugural, when he talked about a torch being passed to a new generation. These awards are precisely about a new generation. And of course, this new generation is a continuous process. We are constantly looking. But when one gets discouraged about the state of the US government or our capacity to work on hard problems or our willingness to, to challenge the conventional wisdom, um, which is that nothing can quite happen or whatever else, uh, one need look no further than the extraordinary people um, around this uh, country and around this world that really are taking on challenges in new and compelling and exciting ways. Um, and who have given and uh, sacrificed in so many different ways to make a difference. So um, let me say nothing more than that and then briefly introduce uh, Trey Grayson, who is the director of the Institute of Politics here at the Kennedy School. He's the former Secretary of State of Kentucky. Um, and as many of you know, the role of a Secretary of State is in fact to do things like make sure everybody votes, um, and this has been a, 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 a very important theme of uh, Trey uh, throughout the time that he's been here at the IOP since 2011. Um, he's a recognized expert indeed on civic education, on the political beliefs of millennials, uh, civility in politics. Um, there is such a thing as civility in, in politics, I am told, although uh, it seems a rarer event. Um, governing and especially electric, um, election administration and the like. In November of 2003, he was elected the youngest Secretary of State in the country, um, and he became one of only two Republican statewide elected constitutional officers to win a second consecutive term in modern history there in uh, Kentucky. Um, he's also a national leader uh, in business services and government innovation. Uh, he modernized the Secretary of State's office. Uh, he's also uh, has served as chair of the Republican Association of Secretaries of State. And of course, 
last and absolutely not least, he is a graduate of Harvard College and was deeply involved um, on the, he was an IOP student leader. And so for these and many other reasons, it's my very great honor to introduce Trey Grayson. Thank you, David, for that introduction and for those kind words. Uh, I really enjoyed this award. When it was inaugurated in 2004, when I was a member of the IOP's uh, Senior Advisory Committee, I was part of the initial selection committee uh, for the first two years. So it's fun to, to come back and participate in this. Um, throughout that time, since 2004, when these awards were created, uh, Tom McNaught has been a wonderful partner as the co-chair of the New Frontier Awards Selection Committee uh, in this past year. Um, he and I both want to thank the committee members for their wisdom, their time, and their effort this year. Uh, we had a very strong group of nominees for the awards this year, and the committee did an outstanding job in the difficult task of selecting these two inspirational winners. So with the members of the committee who are here this evening, I see Randy, uh, please stand up and thank you for your efforts. We've got three or four all over here. Thanks, all of you. We have members of the Institute's Senior Advisory Committee, as well as the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation Board of Directors uh, in the audience as well, and a former IOP director, Phil Sharp. So members of the Senior Advisory Committee at the IOP and the Library Foundation. Heather, you actually wear both hats. Uh, thank you to Heather and Phil, and thank you for coming tonight. So the New Frontier Award for Elective Service is called the Fenn Award, in honor of Dan Fenn. Uh, who worked in President Kennedy's administration and was the first director of the Kennedy Presidential Library. Dan still teaches here at the Kennedy School and he participates every year on our committee. He's a guiding light for all of us who are working every day to promote public service. Dan, thank you for coming tonight. Thanks. I also want to recognize a couple family members of one of our award winners. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard has her aunt, Ruth Ann, and her cousin, Megan, right here in the front. Thank you for coming out tonight. I know you're very proud. In 2006, we presented the New Frontier Award to a young city council member from Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti. Eric Garcetti wasn't yet 35 when he became the president of the LA City Council and he quickly made an impact upon some of the most challenging issues the city faced. Many of you now know that Eric is the new mayor of Los Angeles, California, and he remains an embodiment and an inspiring one at that of President Kennedy's observation that a man may die, nations may rise and fall, but an idea lives on. As we mark 50 years since the passing of President Kennedy, the Kennedy Library Foundation has put together an interactive documentary that explores the many ways that President Kennedy continues to inspire the world. And as you'll see in this clip from the documentary, President Kennedy's public service ideas live on in Mayor Garcetti. So if the video folks could roll the clip. There's no doubt that President Kennedy's legacy is directly tied to the geography and the place of Los Angeles, something that we're very proud of. He talked about being here in Los Angeles he said that this, had, this was the last frontier for so many years, the place that Americans would come to. And to me, that was always a great symbol, not just of America's new promise with the new frontier that he put forward, but the idea that Los Angeles even had a special role there, kind of being the last frontier. The new frontier of which I speak 
is not a set of promises. It is a set of challenges. It sums up not what I intend to offer to the American people, but what I intend to ask of them. I was raised by two parents who had a strong belief in this country, who were engaged in public service themselves. My father, who served as a prosecutor and then district attorney of Los Angeles. My mother, who ran a charitable foundation doing youth engagement in arts and dropout prevention work. They had just been married when President Kennedy was assassinated. And I think the ongoing conflict in the world, the Vietnam War, led them to be activists and to try to bring peace um, and to get out of Vietnam. My lesson was you don't disengage at those times. You you double what you're doing. You re-engage. You, you fight even harder. My call is to the young and hot, regardless of age, to the stout in spirit, regardless of party, to all who respond to the scriptural call, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. In 2006, um, when I received the New Frontier Award, I was given a compass. The library and the foundation presented that to me through Caroline Kennedy and Senator Ted Kennedy. And I keep that in my office. It, it is the most significant, maybe physical, possession I have in my office, outside pictures of my own family. It's a symbol for all of us to, you know, keep to our track, look at that compass and find your way to find a more just world, to find a, a world that is more peaceful, and to find a, a world that is more prosperous. And we have a role in that. There's many other videos that are of that quality and, and moving uh, on the Kennedy Library's special site, and I encourage you to go visit it. So today, the torch of the New Frontier Award is being passed from Eric Garcetti to Tulsi Gabbard and Charles Best. But that's not the only torch that's being passed today. For 10 years, Caroline Kennedy has presented these awards with her trademark intellect, grace, and eloquence. Today, however, she's not here. She's answered her nation's call to serve, and she's representing us as the ambassador to Japan for the United States. And we miss her. But we're really excited to have her son, uh, Jack Schlossberg, present the New Frontier Awards this year. He was the newest member of the New Frontier Awards Committee, and he was an outstanding one at that. He's a junior at some school down in New Haven. <laughs> um, despite that, uh, he's, got, he's an author. He's been published in many national publications on politics and public policy. And last year, he hit the campaign trail for President Obama. We know his mom's really proud of him. So please join me in welcoming uh, Jack Schlossberg, President Kennedy's grandson, to present the 2013 New Frontier Awards. Jack. Thank you, Trey, for that nice introduction. If any of you are doubting that I'm such an outstanding young man, you can try talking to my sisters. I'm sure they'll have a lot to say about that. Um, I also want to be, uh, thank, well, obviously, Trey and Tom McNaught, uh, the co-chairs of the New Frontier Awards Committee, and the leaders of two fine organizations, the Institute of Politics and the Kennedy Library Foundation. Uh, both of them spend their days working tirelessly to make President Kennedy's legacy accessible to the entire world. I also want to thank David Elwood, the Dean of the Kennedy School, for his hospitality here today and for his leadership of this vital institution. Finally, I want to thank my fellow members of the New Frontier Awards Committee who took time out of their busy schedules to sift through a slate of impressive candidates 
each one deserving of praise, each one inspiring to choose this year's recipients. I'm always overcome with a certain feeling when I visit the Kennedy School or the Kennedy Library. I can't help but feel that I'd better get to work on something. That sense of obligation, of duty, and of service describes President Kennedy's vision for the new frontier. It was, as he said in his acceptance speech at the Democratic Convention and how we just heard him say in the video, not what he intended to offer the American people as president, but what he intended to ask of them. The feeling that I have visiting here today is how I believe President Kennedy wanted every young American to feel. Speaking at Yale's commencement ceremony in 1962, President Kennedy said to the crowd of graduates, quote, there is a show in England called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. You have not chosen to exercise that option. You are part of the world and you, you must participate in these days of our years in the solutions that pour upon us. At Rice University in 1962, President Kennedy, speaking about his ambitious space program, told the youthful crowd, quote, so it is not surprising that some would have us stand where we are a little longer to rest and to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, and this country of the United States of America was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. And at Vanderbilt University in 1963, President Kennedy explained to a new generation of Americans that this nation was not founded solely on the principle of citizens' rights, Equally important, though too often not discussed, is the citizen's responsibility. For our privileges can be no greater than our obligations. With the 50th anniversary of his death this past Friday and the outpour of media attention it produced, it seems that in many ways my grandfather's death overshadows his life. But President Kennedy's life stood for many things. He committed our nation to the cause of peace. He put the full force of the federal government behind the fight for civil rights. He saw the moon and the stars, and he reached for them. Most importantly, as the youngest president elected, he embodied the soaring energy of a youthful spirit, and that enabled him to meet the challenges of his day with the intense energy they required. Today, we remember that remarkable quality that defined his life, and we celebrate it in the achievements and promise of the two recipients of the New Frontier Award. A Yale graduate, Charles Best made his first of many brilliant choices during the college application process. <laughs> Soon after graduating, Charles went to work in a New York City public school, the Wings Academy, as a teacher. There, he encountered a serious problem that plagues our public schools. Teachers spend an enormous amount of money, an average of $500 per year, on classroom materials. He saw firsthand how limited resources restrict creative teachers with ambitious goals for their classrooms and high hopes for their students. As a 25-year-old teacher, it probably seemed pointless to try to change the system and secure more funding for public education through traditional routes. So in 2000, Charles Best thought of a new approach. He founded Donors Choose, a website that connected teachers with individuals who could provide financial support for class projects that school budgets couldn't cover. In 2003, the website went live, and teachers were able to post projects that anyone could sponsor. Today, a decade later, we're used to the internet being used this way. Many popular apps use crowdsourcing to raise money, and we're all accustomed to shopping, researching, communicating, and donating online. In 2000, however, Google was two years old. MySpace didn't exist, nor did iTunes. Facebook wouldn't be around for another four years, and it would be another five years until YouTube was launched. Donors Choose was a visionary concept. Unlike many of the crowdfunding enterprises we're now familiar with, Donors Choose is not-for-profit, and it remains explicitly public in its mission. Today, Donors Choose has raised more than $200 million for class projects in underfunded public schools, 
Half of all public school teachers in the United States have used the website to fund at least one classroom project. Millions of students have benefited from the generosity of more than one million individuals. Most of them are first-time donors to public education. Charles Best has improved the lives of millions of students whose hopes and dream in large part depend upon the education they receive. He has aided teachers who work so hard to make that American dream accessible to their students. He is helping policymakers to streamline funding for public education, and he is showing million, millions of us that we can give meaningfully no matter how much. At Yale's commencement ceremony in 1962, my grandfather quoted Thomas Jefferson, who said that, quote, the new circumstances under which we are placed call for new words, new phrases, and the transfer of old words to new objects. We can all find inspiration and hope in Charles Best and donors choose. For Charles created something truly new, and in doing so, he redefined our ability to donate and our capacity to choose when doing so. Embodied in his example, and in the innovative spirit of Donors Choose is the essence of my grandfather's vision for the New Frontier. <clears throat> it is now my honor to present the 2013 New Frontier, John F. Kennedy New Frontier Award to a very deserving man, Charles Best. <clears throat> Jack, thank you so much for those kind words. That was incredibly generous of you, and I, I, it was moving to hear you speak. Thank you equally to each of you for sparing a, a few minutes of your evening. Uh, this is one of the greatest honors, I think it's really the greatest honor of my professional life, and it is humbling and exhilarating to be here with each of you. I often feel like the front man for other people's work, getting credit for what they've done, and tonight is a, an extreme example of that. I have uh, my colleague, Katie Bisbee, here. There are uh, donors who support classroom projects on our site in the Boston area. There are teachers who've used our site to transform their classrooms here with us tonight. There's the awards committee to whom I owe this incredible honor. And my debt of gratitude actually uh, goes back to high school. I had this English teacher and wrestling coach, his name was Mr. Buxton. And uh, when I showed up as a dorky freshman in high school, Mr. Buxton spoke to me like he would to any adult. If he approved or disapproved of something I'd done, I knew it right away, because he didn't have that mask that some grown-ups put on when they're talking to kids. If I asked him a question on Wednesday, he'd come back to me on Friday saying that he'd thought about it, and he really had. He made you feel like he wanted you on his team. And I, I looked up to him so much, and I figured if anybody ever looked up to me the way that I looked up to Mr. Buxton, I would have done my share in this life. So 13 years ago, as Jack mentioned, I started teaching history at a public high school in the Bronx, where I was spending a lot of my own money on school supplies, as were my colleagues. And we would talk in the teacher's lunchroom about books that we wanted our kids to read, and a field trip we wanted to take them on, and art supplies we needed for an art project. And I just figured there were people out there who'd want to help teachers like us and students like ours if they could see where their money was going. Crowdfunding wasn't yet uh, a word. I think it was years away from becoming a word. And uh, so I called this, this idea citizen philanthropy and enabling every teacher to become a social entrepreneur. So I created this really rudimentary site. I used pencil and paper to draw out 
each web page, and for $2,000, a programmer from Poland was willing to build out that site. <laughs> to get my colleagues to try out the site, I asked my mom uh, to make this roasted pear dessert, which is absolutely delicious. It's, uh, she makes it with orange rind and spices, and it, it's amazing. I put that pear dessert in the teacher's lunchroom, and before my colleagues could scarf it down, I said, hold up, there's a toll. If you eat one of these pears, you have to go to this new website called donorschoose.org and ask for whatever it is you most want for your students. Propose the project that you've always wanted to do with them. And that sounded like a pretty good deal, so my colleagues scarfed the 11 pairs. They proceeded to post the first 11 project requests. My students volunteered every day after school for about three months to spread word to potential donors, to tell them about this place where somebody with $5 could be a classroom hero. That's how we started. Uh, and Jack ha has shared where we are today with half of all the public schools in America having at least one teacher who's created a project on our site, more than a million people giving over $200 million uh, to projects and, and bringing us a, just a step closer to uh, a country where kids in every community have the materials and experiences that they need to learn. We're now embarking on uh, our own new frontier. We've opened up our data so that uh, governments can see exactly what resources teachers most need in particular cities and states, and hopefully make school system spending smarter, better targeted, more responsive to the needs of communities as they emerge in real time. Uh, we're even uh, taking a new approach, a third way on teacher merit pay, by using our platform as a way to uh, reward and motivate teachers who accomplish specific educational outcomes. We're using our site to enable uh, inventors to directly reach teachers and, and, and circumvent uh, the, the school procurement uh, apparatus which keeps away so many inventors and innovators. Just yesterday, we launched a match offer on our site for uh, teachers who are requesting underwater robots and another for teachers who are requesting 3D printers. In any case, it really is, uh, for us, uh, a, a new frontier of impact beyond the resources that we deliver. And the award that you have bestowed on us, because of course it, it's an award for for DonorsChoose.org and, and what all the teachers and donors and team members have accomplished, what your award is doing is shining a spotlight, lending legitimacy and authority and, and significance to this new frontier of impact that we are now exploring. And I, I commit to you that I will work my tail off to deserve the honor that you've given me. I'm so grateful and so humbled. Thank you so much. My grandfather once said that the secret to politics is starting early, and I'm pretty sure that Tulsi Gabbard heard him. Um, she won her first election when she was 21 years old, securing a seat in the Hawaii State Legislature. Before that, as a teenager, she was an outspoken advocate for environmental policy, co-founding an organization with her father to teach children about conservation. In 2004, many of her fellow members of the Hawaii National Guard were called upon for combat tours, combat tours in the Middle East. Although Tulsi herself wasn't selected, she volunteered, unwilling to stay home while her peers were sent overseas. In 2010, she was elected to the Honolulu City Council, and in 2012, after trailing in the Democratic primary to an incumbent by more than 50 points, she was elected to the United States House of Representatives, representing Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District. 
Congresswoman Gabbard became the first Hindu to serve in Congress, the first representative of Samoan descent, and one of two female combat veterans serving in the House. As a freshman in Congress that has been marked by partisan gridlock and inaction, inaction Tulsi managed to pass the very first piece of legislation she introduced with unanimous support from both parties. The Helping Heroes Fly Act streamlined air sports security screenings for injured and disabled veterans. Um, on Capitol Hill and back home in Hawaii, Tulsi is a persistent and fearless voice for her fellow servicemen and women and for military veterans. She has worked hard to secure funding to support homeless veterans in her home state. She is a leader in an effort to pass reforms that ensure fairness and transparency in the judicial process for survivors of military sexual assault. Recently, Tulsi has partnered with Republican Congressman, Republican Representative Aaron Schock to launch the Congressional Future Caucus, a bipartisan group of young members of Congress that aims to move beyond the short-term crisis government that has recently plagued Washington. In an interview, Tulsi was asked why she wanted to serve in a Congress during this era of deep political inaction. She responded, it's at times like these that the hard work is necessary. People at home don't care whether you've got a D or an R in front of your name. They want you to get things done. Throughout her career, Tulsi Gabbard has asked what she could do for her country and has inspired others to ask the same question for themselves. I'm confident that she will continue to do so as she pushes forward into the new frontiers of tomorrow. Please join me in welcoming Telsey Gabbard to the stage to receive the 2013 John F. Kennedy New Frontier Award. Thank you, Jack, for your very kind introduction. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's my attempt to bring a little bit of uh, warmth to some chilly weather here. Uh, it's such a privilege and honor, uh, really, truly, to be here. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to the New Frontier Award Committee. Uh, the JFK Library Foundation, the Harvard Kennedy School and Institute of Politics. Uh, I feel as I stand here that uh, I am bringing my entire state with me um, and everyone is, is very, very proud um, of what we have been able to accomplish so far. Uh, something that I learned recently just a few days ago which I hadn't known previously was that when Jackie Kennedy visited Hawaii back in 1966, she wrote a letter to the editor, which was printed in our two Hawaii uh, newspapers at the time, the uh, Honolulu Star Bulletin and the Honolulu Advertiser. And in her letter, she expressed her gratitude to the people of Hawaii for welcoming her and her family there, uh, giving thanks to the governor uh, for hosting her and also giving thanks to the vegetable truck driver who drove miles and miles to take her to where she wanted to go uh, when she simply stopped and asked him for directions. And in her quote in, in closing the letter, she said, I hope the Aloha spirit is contagious because it could change the world. Most people say Aloha and they think of Hawaii's beautiful paradise, nice beaches, warm weather, uh, wonderful people, without really knowing the true meaning of aloha. 
And I want to share this with you because I think it not only speaks to Jackie Kennedy's quote of what she found so special about the Aloha spirit, but it lives on today in our attempts to bring Aloha to the work that we do that is in integral to this message of service. The word Aloha is, is split up into two root words, alo, which means to share, and ha, which is breath, or the breath of life. And when we say aloha and mean it in the deepest sense of the word, it is a word that allows us the opportunity to see each other truly as people, uh, transcending the labels and the boxes that we find ourselves in, in our life. And our kupuna, our elders in Hawaii teach us that to live aloha is to live a life that is honest, truthful, patient, always striving to humbly give respect to all people, regardless of where they come from. It's in this spirit of aloha that I was brought up with this sense of service, of what is most important in our life, our lives. It is this spirit of aloha that I attempt now to bring some civility to Congress, to begin conversations and to establish relationships that are based on this deep concept, where it's easier to hang out with your friends, it's easy to have discussions with people who agree with you, but it takes more for us to step up, to be able to build bridges and overcome divides that unfortunately cause so much of the strife that we are seeing in our communities and across the country. Growing up in Hawaii, I'm the fourth of five kids, three older brothers and a younger sister. And as you might imagine, it's, it's quite easy to settle into living life as a kid, surfing and hiking and reading books and thinking that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life and I would be just fine. I was taught, however, from a young age that I needed to do my best to be of service. I needed to find a way to make a positive impact on other people, no matter what path I ended up taking, that the definition of true success, the definition of finding true happiness would be found in that place of positively impacting others. I had no idea where this path would lead me, but feel truly blessed today to see that by living my life in this framework of service, it's given me the incredible privilege of having served in ways that I could never have imagined. A few years back, I applied for a White House fellowship, and I was asked a question over and over through the multiple interviews that went through that process that vexed me deeply. I was asked over and over again, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And my answer to that question was, I know that I want to be in a place where I can best be of service to others. What wasn't important to me was a title or a position or a, a particular line of work necessarily, uh, but I knew that I needed to, to be in a place where I could be impactful. I was not selected for the fellowship. I don't know that my answer was what they were, were looking for, but it is this constant question that I've asked myself throughout my life that has taken me down this path, which I'm incredibly grateful for. When I was serving in the state legislature, I'd been elected at 21 years old. I had no resume to speak of. Uh, 
And the only thing that I could offer to people as I went house to house and knocked on doors uh, was that I was deeply committed to working hard for them, to bring voice to the issues that their families were concerned about, and to fight for the state that we all called home in Hawaii. After getting elected a couple of years later, when our unit was activated for deployment to Iraq, many of my colleagues were shocked that I had volunteered to deploy, that I was giving up this seat in the state legislature that I'd worked so hard for, and that I was risking what promised to be a lucrative political career. How could I be so short-sighted, they asked. In my mind, I did not feel at any moment that I was sacrificing anything. What I was gaining was the privilege of serving the people of my state in a greater way, to serve my country, and to serve alongside incredible selfless heroes uh, of whom I, wit I, I learned so much from. So what does it actually mean for us to serve? How do each of us in our own lives answer this question? President Kennedy's call to action. It's by stepping outside of the safe boxes that we have created in our own lives and looking outward. This to me ties directly back to the spirit of Aloha because by looking outside ourselves and looking towards others and truly seeing people for who they are as brothers and sisters, as ohana or family in this global community, it enables us to see past the boundaries that often set limitations in our own lives and creates opportunities to be impactful in ways that we could never have imagined. Sometimes the smallest gestures truly make the biggest differences in people's lives. It's the difference between a restaurant owner who looks for the finest quality ingredients because he or she truly cares about feeding and nourishing people versus one who cuts corners caring only about the bottom line. It's the difference between a teacher who clocks in and out getting by with the bare minimum versus one who puts the attention and care into the great responsibility of nourishing and equipping our next generation of leaders with knowledge. It's the difference between the politician whose positions may blow left and right like the wind, using the position for personal power and prestige versus the public servant who remembers always, first and foremost, the privilege of service and fighting for the people, for those who have no voice, striving to uphold the principles of leadership in every action and every decision. I think sometimes in our own lives we can be afraid to take some of these steps, the steps that step outside of what we may see as our plan for our own lives. What I found is that fear quickly goes away when we realize that it's not about us, that it's about others. And once we get past that, uh, it's incredible and amazing what we can accomplish together, focusing first and always on seeing how we can be of service to each other and those around us. Thank you again for this privilege. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Aloha. Namaste.
before we adjourn tonight, there is one more presentation we'd like to make. As some of you know, Tom McNaught, the executive director, yes, <laughs> of the Kennedy Library Foundation and our wonderful partner in these awards will be retiring next spring. Tom has served the foundation in various capacities for nearly two decades. For nearly as long, the IOP and the Kennedy Library Foundation have existed. Uh, going back to the 1960s, we've been trying to figure out a way to work together on a, our common mission of inspiring public service in the spirit of President Kennedy. The New Frontier Awards are the greatest and most meaningful expression of our collaboration, and we have Tom to thank for what they've become. Internally and externally, Tom championed these awards from their earliest days and allocated precious institutional resources to ensure their success. He's a major reason why we are all here tonight. He's been a thoughtful and generous partner in every way we could have hoped for. So tonight, we want to salute Tom for his partnership, his leadership, and his friendship. So I would like to ask Tom to please come forward to the stage and accept this special compass as a token of our gratitude for the guiding force he's been for the New Frontier Awards and our partnership. Tom. So to, to close, uh, we're going to close with a video that the IOP made uh, to honor President Kennedy's me memory. Uh, we at the IOP like to say that we honor President Kennedy's legacy every day. And to commemorate uh, that mission, uh, we created a social media marketing campaign with a hashtag, EverydayJFK. And we started it off with a great video uh, that Kelly Ryan from our staff prepared and starring our students. And they talk, and also President Kennedy. So we'll conclude, I think, appropriately with a video mixing President Kennedy's speeches and images and words from our students at the Harvard Institute of Politics. So, thanks. For nearly 50 years, we at the Harvard Institute of Politics have honored President Kennedy's legacy every day. In today's hyperpartisan atmosphere, which is causing many young people to check out from politics, President Kennedy's lessons are more important than ever before. I urge all of you today, especially those who are students, to act, to enter the list of public service. For in the final analysis, our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this, this small, small planet. planet. We all breathe the same air, we all cherish our children's future, and we are all mortal. Increased responsibility goes with increased ability. For of those to whom much is given, much is required. And let every man and woman who works in any area of our national government, in, in any, any branch, branch, at, at any, any level, level, be able to say with pride and with honor in future years, I serve the United States government in that hour of our nation's need. I hope that all of you who are students here will Recognize the great opportunity that lies before you in this decade and in the decades to come to be of service to our country. Let us not despair, but act. Let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democratic answer, but the right answer. The energy, the faith, the devotion, 
which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Every one of us is in a position of responsibility. And in the final analysis, the kind of government we get depends upon how we fulfill those responsibilities. We, the people, are the boss. And we will get the kind of political leadership, be it good or bad, that we demand and deserve. For I can assure you that we love our country, not for what it was, though, though it, it has always, always been great. great, not for what it is, though of this we are deeply proud, but for what it someday can, and through the efforts of us all, someday will be. Secondly, the educated citizen has an obligation to serve the public. He, he may, may be, be a, a precinct worker, worker or president. He may give his talents at the courthouse, the state house, the White House. He may be a civil servant or a senator, a candidate or a campaign worker, a winner or a loser. Body must be a participant and not a spectator. that video and I saw your faces y'all like that video <laughs> we encourage you to share it on your Facebook and Twitter and social media accounts as we spread the word and we continue to honor JFK every day this concludes the ceremony we want to invite you to a, a reception that will take place behind the forum stage where you can visit with the winners uh, have a great evening and a wonderful Thanksgiving